Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is the New Rust Station Podcast, a show about learning the Rust programming language. This is bonus episode six. It doesn't need to be sexy. A little news as we kick things off here. First, and perhaps most interesting, Aaron Turon and Alex Crichton published their new Futures RS crate, which provides some low-level primitives for a concept variously called futures, promises, or delayed or future values, depending on the context and some details. I'll link the crate in the show notes. It has some great documentation, as well as being what looks to be a pretty solid implementation. At some point, I'll actually come back around and devote an episode in its entirety, maybe more than one, to futures in the future. This crate is a huge deal for the ecosystem, and part of what makes it so great, in my mind at least, is that it's not part of the language, it's just built on top of the language. The Rust core primitives expose everything required to do this, and to do it well. And the existence of this crate will open a lot of doors for higher-level interfaces, higher-level designs in lots of other libraries. Closely related, Carl Lerche, the author of the Mio low-level I.O. Rust library, recently published Tokio, a network application framework which, as it happens, takes advantage of futures in its internals. This is great news. Also, I just bumped into a really neat little project called ShaderCat by Claudia Dapioslash, who's already decently well-known for her work helping teach people about functional programming. In this case, she's looking at doing graphics programming with Unity and Rust, so if either of those are interests of yours, you should definitely subscribe to that blog, which I will of course link in the show notes. Next up, the Rust programming language, otherwise known as the Rust book, is now a co-authored work, not only by Steve Klabnik, who has been working on it for the last year and some change, but also by Carol Nichols, who co-founded Integer 32, the first Rust consultancy, which I mentioned a few episodes back. Speaking of writing projects, keep your ears open. I have a Rust-related writing project coming your way later this fall, and I'll discuss that in some more detail when it's out. Now, for today's discussion. Over the past few months, as I've watched and as I've participated in the Rust community, I've noticed a pattern, and I include myself in it, including the news sections of many of these episodes. That pattern is that we really glorify the compiler team and their work. A lot of the focus in the community is on the language core itself, and this can be a problem. Now, again, I, I get where this comes from. Like I said, I've been guilty of focusing almost entirely on the language myself at times. The language is cool, Rust is interesting, and the team working on designing and tweaking it is very, very talented. More than that, having a language moving forward at such an active pace is fairly novel. To the best of my knowledge, there is nothing else quite like the pace of post 1.0 Rust development, where you have a language which is both stable and improving its capabilities and syntax and semantics rapidly, thereby making it better at solving many problems and sometimes even capable of solving new ones. It's exciting. And so focusing on the core language is tempting. It's especially tempting because we can jump in and participate in helping improve the language itself. This is, I think, not an experience most of us have had in other language communities, even really great ones. There are a lot of upsides to just how open the Rust development process is, and this is one of them. But if we want Rust to really flourish, to succeed out in the market of 
programming languages, we need to look more broadly. We need to choose things besides the compiler and the language to focus our attention on, and perhaps most importantly, to lavish our praise on. And that's a twofold change. One, we need to keep our eyes open for other significant open source projects in the community and chip in on those and celebrate those. Two, we need to look around and note all the other things there are to work on, including the really small ones, and buckle down and do those. So let's take those in turn and fill that out a bit. First, on big gaps. There are a bunch of projects in a fairly nascent state which could make a big, big difference in how useful Rust is and how easy it is for companies to adopt it. And it's worth understanding that one of the biggest things that helps languages be more than just an exciting flash in the pan is getting them used in quote-unquote industry settings. You're already starting to see some of this with Rust. Companies from Dropbox to Academia.edu and many others. I'll link the Friends of Rust page in the show notes. And that's really good news. But still, for Rust to go from a niche thing to an everywhere thing, there are lots of pieces of infrastructure that need to be built outside the language itself. Big infrastructure pieces. We, we need those low-level infrastructure pieces, like Mio and the new Futures Library I mentioned a moment ago. We also need some higher-level abstractions sitting on top of those to make it easier for people to build, for example, web services easily we could use something that empowers people the way Ruby on Rails did in that context, or Django in the context of Python, or even Express in the context of Node. And that's a lot of work. It's a large abstraction, and doing it well is going to take a lot of time. And I know that there are people out there working on it. When you see those kinds of projects, recognize that they are just as important to the health of the Rust community as is the language itself. So chip in on them and celebrate them. Now, what about all the little pieces, that second note I mentioned above? The community actually has a really good start on this. Lots of people out there have built small exploratory projects, everything from another Rust binding to a C library to parts of an XML parser or many other such things. And those are both great for little learning projects and also the kinds of things that we need to take and turn into production level tools that are at a level that can be used in much larger projects. So don't be discouraged if you've written that kind of small project and you're thinking, there is no way this is ready for some big company to depend on. I'm still just learning Rust. That's okay. In fact, it's good even. No one should be sad about learning and even learning in public, and no one should feel ashamed of those kinds of projects. All I mean here is that as we move from the just trying this out phase, which honestly, we're only a year and some change past Rust 1.0, most of us have been in that phase because that's the only place most of us could be. As we move from that to the phase where we feel reasonably competent with the language, we can start looking around and thinking about how we can turn my first XML parser into a great XML parser perhaps by collaborating with several others who've done the same thing, and by looking at some of the state-of-the-art options out there in other languages, and then seeing what it means to build a really top-notch XML parser in Rust. And that's just one example, of course. These kinds of small projects aren't that sexy, but they're incredibly important. In many ways, given a sufficiently decent language foundation, they're actually more important than anything else that the language itself might do. And if you don't believe me, 
Look at JavaScript. The language itself has a lot of issues in its design, and there are well-known problems with the Node.js ecosystem and the tooling around it. Now, I like JavaScript. I write JavaScript every day. But the amount of time I've spent chasing down something which broke five layers deep in an NPM dependency is infuriating. But in many ways, none of that matters because there is also a vibrant community trying to solve nearly every problem imaginable in JavaScript for Node or for the browser or both. The result is that whatever the language's warts and whatever the weaknesses of the tools, the Node.js and browser ecosystems are flourishing. And a huge part of that is simply people's willingness to build lots of small things which aren't glorious and which aren't at the very center of the community. A willingness to embrace that idea that it doesn't have to be sexy for it to matter to be a valuable contribution is huge. And we need that in spades for Rust to become all it can. So go write that incredible XML parser, or better yet even, help make one of the two out there that already exist more robust and more capable. And then maintain it, fix bugs when they're found, keep on top of pull requests as they come in, and generally try to make it useful to people. There isn't a lot of glory in that, but it is really important. It's really valuable. And again, to reiterate, a lot of Rustations are doing just that. I saw news come by this week about everything from cryptography with the Ring crate, to building Alexa skills for the Amazon Echo, to a library for getting input from gamepads and controllers. These kinds of things are fantastic. So above all, keep it up. And then secondarily, let's work to celebrate those kinds of things and celebrate them just as loudly as we celebrate changes to the core language itself. Those two things are not in competition. In fact, it's the combination of the core language and the things we build with it that makes this all worth doing. Thanks, as always, to the sponsors who help make the show possible. This month, the sponsors included Chris Palmer, Daniel Collin, Eric Fulmer, Jared Smith, Rafe Levine, Stephen Morosky, and Vesa Kailavirta. You can see a full list of sponsors in the show notes and the top tier of sponsors on a dedicated page of the website. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can set up recurring contributions at patreon.com slash or give a one-off contribution at a variety of other services listed at the show website. There, at newrustation.com, you will also find links to the news items and the crates I mentioned both at the top of and then throughout the show. And you can also follow the show on Twitter, at newrustation, or me, at Chris Kreitshow. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor, help others find it. Share it on social media, rate and review it on iTunes, or recommend it in another podcast app directory, or just tell a friend about it. Also, please do respond. Say hello on social media, leave a comment in the threads for the episode on the Rust user forum or on Reddit or on Hacker News, or just send me an email at hello at newruststation.com. I really enjoy hearing from you. Until next time, happy coding, even on something not very sexy.